Who's Stacey Dash? Is she like related to Dame Dash? Was she on Rockefeller? She did speak about Manning and I, I heard of a crazy lady once, maybe last week, but I don't know what her name is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like why there's a need for the birth of a nation and why there's a need for the country music awards and, and the Alma awards. If you don't see yourself reflected in mainstream awards, you tend to create your own. And um, until there's not no longer a need for that, um, I celebrate the Almas in the same way I celebrate the country music awards and the same way I celebrate the BET awards and the image awards, which, you know, we'll all be at. Um, in, a, in a couple weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, the more uh, in, the more that we uh, focus on inclusion and a true representation of this country, um, I think that crazy lady will, will have less to say. All right. Ready. Hello. Welcome to the Awkward Minority Podcast episode 14. I am one of your hosts, Lady Godiva, and of course we have the awesome, down-to-earth Jesus Shuttlesworth, aka Ted Bundy. Hey, how y'all doing today? <laughs> um, man, Winter Storm Jonas. One hell of a storm, man. <laughs> yeah, I got you good. Yeah, it hit us hard in, in Virginia. <laughs> How about you? Did you get anything in, in Georgia? No. Well, we got like a baby. We got like a baby blizzard. Like the like Mother Nature was like, don't play with me. I'll bring it. And me and Mother Nature's been beefing because I was trying to get to the store. And then Mother <laughs> Nature going to make it snow. And then by the time I got to the store, which was yesterday, people done stole all the bread. And I say stole all the bread because why y'all buying so much bread for? What's the point? Right. What are you really trying to buy? What are you what are you about to make with all this bread that you just need to oh when the Okay, let's say we do get snowed in. What is bread going to bring to you? Right. Exactly. And bread goes bad pretty quickly, so <laughs> they ain't get the meat. We can get the bread. Yeah. And freaking oh, I've been stuck in here for quite a while. <laughs> We had we got um, almost three feet of snow, and you know a lot, including myself. We're always thinking, you know, oh, they're bluffing. They don't know what they're talking about. But yeah, they hit us hard this time. <laughs> it gave you some time to check out our interview. Well, if you guys didn't know, we we recently did an interview with the Little Miss Entertainment Show, and it came out this week. So if you go to SoundCloud.com backslash Little Miss Entertainment, that's L-I-T-T-L-E, Miss E-N-T. You can check out our interview and hear us drop that knowledge. We can actually start the podcast on some good news along with that good news. You seen, did, have you seen that video that have went viral recently? Oh, yes. Go ahead, tell them. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, so it was a cop in Florida. And he was responding to a a noise complaint from a neighbor and we got there, he assessed the situation and he seen that it was just young boys playing basketball. So instead of him being a prick about it and telling the boys they can't play basketball and they need to put the basketball goal up and they begin noise complaints. He instead joins in on the basketball game. And as he's leaving, 
Um, he goes, I'm gonna bring bag up next time. Well, before I get to well, before I get to the bag up part, this video come to find out this video was actually from a dashboard cam, so nobody wasn't recording it. But when the cop pulls up, that's a scary moment. That's a scary moment. If you're a young black man in America, that's a scary moment. Because as you see in the video, one of the black dudes, he was like, fuck this. I'm not, I'm, I no, I seen this movie. So he, <laughs> he got the hell up. One dude gets the hell out of there. Like as the cop is pulling up, he's walking away. Like you see him move out the frame. And then mm-hmm. as he after he's done talking to him and um they start playing basketball because he joins in on the basketball. The other boy walks into the frame, walks back into the picture. You know, he walks back in, into the frame of the camera. So I guess it's like, okay, coast is clear. He ain't shooting. Well, it's like that's a real, like that's a real, that's a real thing. Like people like to think that oh, black people making it up or being like being nervous around cops, but that is very apparent right there that a person that wasn't that wasn't doing anything was scared of the cop. But anyway, as he's leaving, he goes, "I'm gonna bring bag up next time. Bring bag up next time." So he comes back the next day and he brings Shaquille O'Neal, aka Superman, aka Shaq Diesel, and wow. everybody. He brings and like fifty other cops with them, so they just shut down the whole block. And they're playing basketball. Shaq was short. Shaq gives no fucks. Shaq was in there <laughs> dunking on people. Shooting threes. Shaq. I met Shaq one time. Shaq is big as hell. Like, he's super huge. It was at a um, March of Dimes event. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. He's big. He's super huge. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's just in there. They just having, it was like a nice little, it was like a nice little human to human moment that I thought we should open up the podcast with. Yeah, that was so refreshing. Um, you know something I do notice though a lot on especially on social media, uh the whole good cop, bad cop uh, scenario. Um a lot of people are starting to mistake in what good and bad really means. <laughs> um they take that title and they run with it. What I mean is with this story that you just shared. You know, that was a good cop because in, instead of being a prick, like you said, he actually um, encouraged the children to play outside because uh, the video initially, the, the cops were called initially because of um, neighbors complaining that there was, you know, they were playing basketball outside. Is that right? Yeah. A neighbor complained about the basketball noise being played outside. Yeah. And so which is crazy to me because our children can't play outside like they used to, you know? And it was the middle of the day. Yeah. So that, that was horrible, but for the cop to actually, you know, not judge it based on the phone call and actually taking the time to see what was going on and, and then played with them. That's a good cop. Um, the, quote unquote good cop that I can't smile on is the ones that are shared on Facebook. Um, you know, those little stories where the cops buy children chips or they freaking whip a nene with the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is I- that 
what message is that giving out? That's not doing anything. That's kind of like saying, oh, you know, the cops have been, um, their name has been tainted with or whatever. So we have to cover, you know, balance it out with so-called good cops. But that's not what good cops mean. <laughs> I totally, I totally see what you mean. It's like they're trying to paint a narrative that's not even there. Like, like you're saying, you consider a good cop a person that does his job well. They consider right. a good cop a cop who um buys toys for the neighborhood. Like, that's not what a good cop does. Like, that's a great thing that you've done as a human, but that's not that does not contribute to your ability to do your job. What I consider things to ability to do your job is to come up assess the situation before you even talk to the kids and then you proceed to act like the call never even happened that's a good cop you you got there you assess the situation and then you handled it on your own you didn't you didn't do a tamir rice you didn't take somebody else's word and pull up and kill the little boy before you got the car you didn't do a um a jordan crawford where the whole well, this person called in and said that he's pointing his gun at people and he's threatening to shoot them. And then y'all pull up to the Walmart and without even saying a word to this man, y'all shoot him and kill him. So that's what I consider to be a good cop when you assess the situation and you don't kill anybody over nothing. Because in both of those instances, neither one of them had a real gun. And Jordan Crawford had a gun that was in the Walmart in the toy aisle that he just picked up because he was on the phone. You know, you get in the phone, you just pick up something. You know, you, right. you know, you, you don't pay no mind to it. But okay, but so a lot of people like to paint this narrative because because they get because they think they're doing their their part to outweigh the good cop bad cop narrative because they'll see oh look good cops do exist. Y'all just making up this stuff. Y'all attacking cops. Like if you actually listen to what we're saying, nobody is saying anything bad about the cops. Everybody is saying that. These cops that are causing bad events to happen need to be out the force. We're not saying that all cops are bad. We're saying that the ones that are committing crimes like murder and covering up the murder and intimidating witness to change their stories, those are bad cops. So you're whipping and nagging make you a person that's relatable, but it doesn't contribute to helping you do your job. Just like just like um just like if you want to really break it down to Okay, so you're a good cop because you give back to the community. So that means that Nino Brown in New Jack City, who used to give away turkeys every Thanksgiving, and he gave Holly Berry and and Chris Rock a turkey, and all the other crackheads. So if you give if you give back to your community, that makes you good at your job, or that makes you good because in that case, Pablo Escobar was a saint because he gave away four hundred houses. He funded Pablo Escobar made so much money that he offered to buy the debt of Colombia. He was going to pay off the debt of Colombia. That's how much money he had. So that's what y'all, that's basically what y'all doing. Y'all putting it on the same field. Y'all saying that you're, you're good at your job. If you do things outside of it, that's, that's, that's good in human nature. Yeah. And uh, yeah, another example would be, you know, a parent bragging about what they do for their child. Okay, do you want me to clap for you? Like exactly. oh, those yeah. are your duties. Exactly. Oh, you did some human shit. Oh, okay, that's cool. I mean, <laughs> don't don't get us wrong. It's I feel I I I'm a, I'm a firm believer that you have to be inside of the community that you police. I'm I'm a firm believer that if you police a cuz back in the day, I remember the police was very prevalent 
in the community. They they know your name. They used to walk a beat. They used to call it walking the beat. They used to walk the beat and all this stuff. Or or now it'd be driving because you know living houses. So you know they used to walk the beat, so to speak, and they would know the people in the communities. Now you just have cops responding to calls and this whoever near. So I commend him for doing his job. The rest was just fucking cool. That's what it comes down to. It just the rest what he did was cool. But it doesn't make him better at his job, which is not a bad thing at all. So when y'all want to point out how somebody is a good cop, then you need to point out the first part. Because y'all told him to negate the first part, the part where he comes up and he he scopes out what's going on. Then he makes a decision in his head what's wrong, right and what's wrong. Y'all told him to negate the first part, which is the actual good cop part. And y'all go to, oh, he's a good cop because he was playing basketball. Huh? The amount... Of fuckery. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's, it, and then it's really, it's really funny because people will argue with you about mm-hmm. this. Like, oh, he's a good cop. Why is he a good cop? Because he bought those kids some Skittles. <laughs> right? That makes, that makes you a good cop. Then, I'm, like I said, y'all, y'all boarding on a weird ass line because if that, if giving back to the community makes you good at your job, then that means that Nino Brown. Was an excellent human. He sold drugs, so yeah, that. So we had me and Lady Godiva had a weekend full of movies. Mm-hmm. No, then nothing else to do. <laughs> How did you like Beast of No Nation? I loved it. I really do. It did um, Idris Elba did a great job in that movie. They they fucked his hair up. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, she was like, they fucked his hairline all up in this movie. <laughs> oh man, that's de- but, dedication. Let somebody fuck, let somebody fuck your hairline up is dedication. That is right, exactly. Yeah, but the the child Agu um, did a phenomenal job as well. Um, I love to be. Yeah, I I love the beginning as you know the the beginning of the movie where he was trying to sell that um imagination TV. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty cute. Yeah. It, but I um, bet you had no like damn imagination TV. Right. <laughs> yeah, took apart your own TV. Cause I was like, "Oh, that's nice. They got imagine. That was pretty cool." Like I'm like, "Okay, children playing. That's creative." Then you get home, is that like <laughs> What is this? What is this? I know. What is this? <laughs> and I'm like, and then they pan out, and you see the TV, like, this mother boy, not in my house, still my TV. <laughs> man, I, I actually enjoy. I actually enjoyed the movie a real lot. I like. I man, remember, remember the. I remember um, when I first was watching it, and they was talking. They was talking to that older woman, and she wished that bad luck on them. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew it'll come back on them? Yeah, that was that was horrible on her yeah. part when they were like, "You know us, you know." And she you was know like, us. "I don't know them." You know us. You know us. Yo, yo, <laughs> I should have been in that movie. My, 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 my African accent on point. <laughs> you know us. You know us. We not gonna spoil oh. the movie for y'all, so we not gonna say no more. We not gonna say. <laughs> How the bad luck comes back on them, but you know, you know, uh, you know us, you know us, yo. They, 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 
that's one thing I noticed about the Africans in that movie is they know how to hustle. Because when they was blocking the road and it was like, just give me some money and we'll, you know, we'll unblock it for you. Mm-hmm. They know how to, they know how to hustle. They was about their hustle. I commend yeah. them. I'm yeah. Like, my favorite, my favorite character in the movie had to be Striker. I know. And it's so cool to be a character. You don't say a word like much at all. <laughs> That's how you know you graded. Man, these kids, these kids deserve the global recognition that they're getting. They deserve more than what they're getting. But it's nice to see that people actually watched the movie and loved it because that boy didn't say not one word in the whole movie. But you felt I felt so compassionate towards him. Yeah, yeah. But again, we're not gonna spoil the movie for you guys. So it's on. It's available. It's actually Netflix first original film. You go watch it on demand right now. So after you're done listening to us, you should put that on and watch it and enjoy our master. It's I ranked it as um two thousand my two thousand and fifteen. It shared it shared the top honor for movie of the year in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It shared that top honor with End of the Tour. Have you, you watched, because we watched End of the Tour too. What did you yeah. think about that one? I like that one as a, a lot, especially from a writer's perspective. Um, I like the whole thing, especially the, you know, I told you about the interview part. I enjoyed the most. <laughs> I'm going to read y'all my, um, my, my write-up I wrote about that one, about End of the Tour. I wrote, one of my favorite movies has to be Almost Famous. It tells the fictional story of teenage journalists writing for Rolling Stone magazine in the early 1970s while covering the fictional band Stillwater and his efforts to get his first cover story published. The film is semi-autographic as Crow himself was a teenage writer for the Rolling Stone. The movie, The End of the Tour, gives me that feel like it should be part two. The part two to Almost Famous, The Latter Years. The movie was written by Donald, but emails had to be passed between him and Crow. This had to be. This is the movie I never knew I needed to see, but the glad I saw it. The artistically beautiful levels in which the rich and enchantment trading of prolific intelligent thoughts in this movie is flabbergasting. Never to be taken back by a single word, but to be just pushed forward by a single thought. Who would think that a movie with two people named Dave could help shape the minds of the youth that look for simple motivation that things will be better? This expression for motivation is often sought out through the countless monotonous kiddie pool of think pieces that live within Facebook called memes. They fail. The deep that you seek is never found in the pool in which the bottom is rapidly shallow. It is yet discovered at the bottom of the ocean in which you have to swim to reach your destination. Too many times we ask to read in response. The end of the tour is to watch and to think. Thank you for a once in a lifetime film. So those wow. I, had to flex, I had to flex my artistic writing muscle on that one because the movie is just that deep. Yeah, it is. It gives you an insight on not only a writer's um, life, but the fan as well, and and yeah. what they you know what how they live their life as well. Yeah. Um, with this movie, not to spoil it too much, but I just wanted to <laughs> point out. No, it's just the the gist of it is is pretty cool. Like, um, I find it relatable to people in in the real world, um, as far as the fan looking up to the artist and 
expecting more, you know, putting them on a pedestal um, in this fantasy world. But then, then when reality, when you meet them, they're just as human. And, you know, we've discussed this numerous times in other podcasts, like with um, Dr. Huxtable, you know, the, the fact that they only see the artist that they they're fantasizing about, but they they don't see the, the the person behind that character. So that was that was pretty interesting to look at, you know, through a movie. Yeah, because you can tell in the movie that David just wanted to be like David Foster Wallace. I have to say David Foster Wallace because both of their name is David, and this yeah. is actual. This is um. This is actual accounts of what happened when David interviewed David Foster Wallace in the mm-hmm. late in the late in the late nineties, early two thousands. I can't remember when it took place, but I wrote down a whole bunch of notes about David Foster Wallace because he was an interesting fellow. He wrote this book. He wrote this book, yeah. Infinite Death. It's one thousand and forty eight pages. People say this is the greatest piece of literature that you will ever read in your life. But to David Foster Wallace, he felt, uh, he felt meh. It kind of it kind of came off like it kind of came off like he didn't even like the book in which he wrote mm-hmm. because it takes like the, the whole gist of the um book I'm I can't wait to read it is about a tennis club like a tennis club and like addiction or something like that and people say it's the greatest thing you have ever read in your life like they say say goodbye to your spare time this is about to consume your life you are going to be lost in enchantment in the words of that that reside on the page like wow. Like most people don't even write a whole review of it because they say that they their review cannot even do the words better, do the words perfectly. But yeah, David Foster Wallace, he this ain't spoiling nothing because they tell you this in the beginning of the movie. David Foster Wallace end up killing it, end up killing himself a suicide, and you can tell during the movie, which is also depicted in the interview, that this man was very lonely. Like, yeah, yeah like, what's that? What's that one quote about the books he had? Um, David, the, the one that interviewed David Wallace, he said, David thought books existed to stop you from feeling lonely. Yeah. That expressed David Wallace. (laughs) Yeah. Like he was, um, like he was a, like that was like, that's the whole narrative that plays during the whole interview is that he's constantly thinking about not being lonely. Cause I wrote down that he had, um, dogs. He only had dogs cause he felt he was lonely. He had one point where he had a TV and he said he only had the TV to keep it on, to keep it as a form of a like a fireplace, like a conversation piece, like something to look at, like the comfort, mm-hmm. the comfort of other sounds in the room. Right. In the room with yourself. I find myself doing that from time to time. Like I I think us artists, I always say the world is a big torture box as an artist because you see so many crappy things that it's just you just need to escape from it. So I know for me. I like to be in silence by myself. So I will turn the TV on and I never knows that, but I'm like, yeah, I do really just sit there like a fireplace. Cause I don't be watching it. It just, it's like good to have noise, but you don't have to talk to the noise. Us are, that's one thing. Us artists are really weird. Us artists are really weird like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing is die. the first die heart. Yes. The first die heart is the best die heart. Yippee Kai gay motherfucker. You become motherfucking yay. <laughs> That's the one with Carl Winslow in it, and like, he like it was like takes time about Christmas. But um, another another thing they um had where he basically predicted mankind in 2016. 
who mm-hmm. I don't think he thought that technology would get this far that quick. But when he was talking, when they were sitting there at the kitchen and they was talking about masturbation, and he predicted the downfall of mankind, saying that technology is getting so complex it's making people lazy, and eventually they'll die for this laziness because technology cut out the manual labor. Now, what they was actually talking about was masturbation and you know you masturbate you have to move your arms you have to move your arms of your dude or your woman so he was talking about virtual porn he was they were saying it's going to get to the point where you don't even have to you don't even have to masturbate for yourself anymore and it had a deeper meaning behind it if you think about hoverboards like hoverboards now you don't even have to walk for yourself if you want to you don't even have to send a text using your using your hands anymore because you could be touch free so yeah. mm-hmm. he predicted the downfall of mankind by using a metaphor for masturbation. Now, if you don't think that's deep, then I don't know what to tell you. You know um, what's crazy? Have you ever seen the movie Wally? It's a it's a children's movie. Yes, I had I had to fight about Wally. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> somebody tried to tell me that Wally wasn't about their life, and I fully believe that Wally was a gangster. Yeah, and and doesn't it remind you of nowadays? Like people are are getting lazier and lazier due to technology and just going with the flow. Man, will it's like people getting lazier, and then the people that are allowing it, they're going to regret it. Like people love to talk about how robots are going to take people's jobs. The robots are going to take the people's jobs that are not creative because the robot can never take my job and your job because we do we do things that come from our mind. Uh, robots cannot compute what we do. A robot cannot have a podcast. A robot cannot design design clothes. A robot cannot write poetry. But a robot can take your order at McDonald's. They can check you out of at we already got self-checkout. So all this stuff, y'all clamoring for all this new technology and y'all wanting more and more technology, but all it's doing is disabling you. Yeah. Which is gonna be gonna be a downfall because once it happened, then what you're gonna do? Because all you all you know is how to use technology. You don't know how to do anything else besides that. So another another narrative in the movie was um you remember almost famous how um Stillwater, the the leader in Stillwater, he was like, just make us look cool, man. Just make us look cool. <laughs> you remember you remember that part? Yes. Like that's that's the vibe I got from him too. That's the Dave. I, that's that's the, the vibe I got from David Wallace was that he just wanted to seem cool because we us us um us creators we love to have we love to be nervous about perceptions that we have no control over, like things we have no control over. We'll explain ourselves because we don't want to come off as being facetious and going over people's heads. So we'll explain ourselves to try to dumb it down for like everybody can understand. So like he. He um he got to one point where David was interviewing David Wallace. I keep on saying both. I keep on saying his whole name again because they're both named David. And he's like, I don't think I'm smarter than nobody. Then he's like, Yeah, you think you're smarter than people? He was like, No, I don't think I'm smarter than nobody. Did it go back and forth for me? And he's like, Well, it was like, it doesn't matter or whatever. Like he has this. He he. I like I like this one. I like this one quote he said because he said he said that writers are more compelling in their stupidity of lack of or lack of understanding. He really meant overstanding, but you know, I like that. I like that quote that writers are more compelling in their stupidity or their lack of understanding. Because there are like you have to be a damn buffoon to sit here and write 
a book about anything or make a music because you got to be that's one thing about us artists you have to have a ego of sorts like you cannot be humble like people love to say oh he's very humble you can't humble being humble gets you nowhere because if you're being humble then you don't understand your greatness and if you don't understand your greatness you'll never showcase it to the world because you feel like you're not worthy of it like that ties into that ties into this um football player you might have heard of him his name's cam newton and cam newton we talked about him in the podcast before how he um celebrates after they score and stuff like that Mm-hmm. People hate Cam Newton like the fucking almost as much as the Kardashians. Like they hate the Kardashian, they hate Cam Newton for different reasons, but it all ties back to the same thing is that they have confidence in themselves. It's like how dare it's like how dare you have confidence in yourself in this world where superficial, superficial ways are pushed. Like su- having confidence in yourself is bad for the bottom line because then we can't sell you things that's supposed to make you feel confident. Right. You don't like your weight? Well, we can sell you this Herbalife. Like we love society loves to try to sell you things to make you feel confident. So when you when you naturally exuberant, exuberant, then they don't like that. Because people have all these reasons for not liking Cam Newton, but none of them are like real reasons. Like he's a nice dude. He got a, he got nice charisma. He after he scores every touchdown, he gives the football to children. But people always got this narrative. That like, oh, he's bad for the game. He's always showboating. He's just, he just, he just got swag, man. He just, he just, he just does his, he just does what he do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would never. Let's be clear. I would never root for Cam Newton because he plays for the Carolina Panthers. But I will, I will kind of be happy if they win the Super Bowl in two weeks because ain't no way in hell I'm rooting for the Broncos. Now, if y'all listen to this podcast, y'all know I would never root for the Broncos because they're the reason the Atlanta Falcons, them and that person named who I won't say that went out to buy a hooker the night before the Super Bowl, the bro- <laughs> he would not be said, and you won't say his name either. <laughs> I would never root for the Broncos. They're the reason the Falcons don't have a Super Bowl. But yeah, getting back to um the end of the tour. I just have a quick one where – um. It was. I found it interesting when he was expressing the the interviewer was asking about his the rumor about his uh, heroin addiction, and he he even shut that down. <laughs> I thought I thought it was a fight. Yeah, but in, with his words though, that's how a true writer goes. Like you 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 hit him with the words. <laughs> He that drug addiction was true though. That drug addiction was true. I yeah, but like it had to be because the first the, the book you wrote was all littered with the, the book you wrote was about drug abuse. <laughs> I mean, he didn't deny it. He was actually saying that you know, um, about the heroin. But the way he expressed it, he he was like, "Look, you know, I, I you know fell off." Or whatever, and found different avenues basically to um, get away, pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, so I found that interesting as well. Yeah, he was really, it was seemed like he was a really good dude, but I, I always, I feel like 
maybe if somebody would have I feel like if um I don't know we're not David stayed in touch one, so I'm not gonna say that. If um he would have never broke up with that woman who wrote him that fan letter, fan letter who eventually started dating, I felt like he would have he would have not have killed himself. Because I keep on going back to this, I keep on harping on during the interview. It always seems like he was calling out for help. He has one line where he goes, I felt like I overstayed my welcome, like his first suicide attempt. He felt like he overstayed his welcome in society. He felt like an artist, an artist, or you know, an artist writer, or whatever. Like it felt like he. It feels like you have five years of them loving you, and then, then you know, after those five years, they don't love you no more. Like he has these his complexities or what we all face because he had this other line where he was talking about if something's super popular, then it got to be shit. Like in you know, because about 75% of the world's population don't be nice. About 75% of the world's population has bad taste in anything. So if something's right. popular, it got to be shit. But he was like, I use that rationale to the point where that my book is popular. It's like, is my book shit? Mm. But like he has that whole, he has that whole, that whole fighting your inner spirit. Like that's one thing, like you have to, be prepared for this fame. This fame is not for the fame for the faint of heart. Because once it comes, it comes and it's coming at you. So your insecurities are only magnified when you put on that national stage. And I felt like if he didn't break, if it, if it, he probably broke up. Him and that woman probably broke up because he felt like he wasn't enough of a complete human for her. That's why I get like he felt like he just had no self he didn't have enough self confidence in himself to see that he was actually a genius like um he had this he had this um quote where he's like you so you're so much better than everybody because you understand the distractions that society puts on you but you're worse off than everybody because you can't seem to function in society now i'm paraphrasing the quote but it's basically you see all the fucked up shit in the world and you get it like you're woke like we we like to say that people are woke Mm-hmm. Like you're woke, like you're woke now, but it's like you're woke to the point that you can't even function anymore because it's hard trying to explain things to people that just don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> believe me, we know. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I got that. I'm like, that's my. I'm like, that's a good quote. I also like this other quote. Like a lot of, like a lot of um beautiful women like to like to like to say, well, men don't approach me. I wonder why they don't approach me. He even had a he 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 well. I like how he indirectly says things that you can relate to anything in life. Because for that one, it's when it was talking about Alanis Morissette. And Alanis Morissette, he had a picture, he had a um, poster of her in the wall. And he was asking her, why you like Alanis Morissette? He was like, because she's one of those relatable, beautiful women. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, it's like, see, like, she's relatable. Like, you can see her eating food. You can see her doing regular shit. Right. As opposed to those supermodels, where it's like, okay, I really can't see them doing anything. So I felt, I felt that was pretty funny. Like he was like Elena's Morissette was like a, um was a relatable woman. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's just interesting. It's an interesting world, <laughs> especially <laughs> after watching that movie. You just like sit back and you're like, damn. <laughs> I already like I like I like I feel like. That's one of those movies that I feel like everybody needs to watch. Yeah. It's a great, like, it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. But you have to have an artistic view. 
before watching it, I feel. Because if you're asleep, you won't you won't get it either. You know what I'm saying? Like you just like, okay, this guy's a nutcase, you know. Speaking of socially conscious, have you heard Macamore's new song? Yeah. Boy, boy, boy. (laughs) Macamore got these streets on fire. Recently, Macamore put out the sequel to his 2006 socially conscious song, White Privilege. He was on Sway in the Morning yesterday to talk about the record and why he made it. For me, my art has always been a means of trying to dig into some sort of truth, Mm -hmm. whether that was truth in myself, truth in society, um, using the page as a means to to peel away the layers and try to figure this experience out that we call life. And that's a daunting process at times. Um, but but one that is the reason why I make art, why I write raps. And this was a you know, this was a record that was that was difficult. Um we watched uh, you know, when we first met, we were an underground rap group, mm-hmm. and we obviously had a lot of um, success fairly quickly. Although we've been doing it for a long time, the success happened very fast. And um, <sighs> there was a certain point in um, around 2013 where we had, you know, I wrote this original record, White Privilege, um, now 10 years ago. And this was a very different moment from that perspective 10 years ago i was looking at it from from an outsider from an observational point of hip-hop has changed since i've been a fan of it who's coming to shows has changed since i started to go to shows um the mass consumer what it looks like on television the success of um eminem the success of of underground rappers that are white everything is is changing i was looking at it from that perspective fast forward 10 years um here i am at the center of a conversation about race within hip hop, cultural appropriation, um, the Grammys, the process of who gets on the radio, who doesn't. And it felt necessary and very important for us to address that again. Mm -hmm. And to not shy away from that topic, but to step into the conversation and all of its inherent flaws, Mm -hmm. all of its... um, all of it, all of my fear around, like, yo, what am I gonna say now? Um, it felt necessary. <laughs> I know people have been waiting to hear my opinion on this, and I wrote it. I made sure I wrote it down so I could be crystal clear on how I feel. And I'm gonna let the the woman with the beautiful, magnificent voice, I think a diver read it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so <clears throat> here we go. Well, you see, white privilege is the idea that because you're born white, something that you obviously can't change, you have certain social privileges. These tend to be things like other people feeling safe on the sidewalk as you walk by them, or not being afraid when a cop pulls you over. They'll have a racial prejudice or might even shoot you. That's a big one, by the way having a generally positive relationship with the police. White people have the privilege of being found more trustworthy or innocent when it comes to the courts. White privilege is being given a less extreme punishment than a person of color for doing virtually the same crime. 
It's never having to, to worry about the media underrepresenting you or appropriating your religion and culture for entertainment. It's having your entire history being an actual course that many must take, European history or AP European history, while the history of people of color is only an elective or sometimes not even an option. White privilege is having a wide range of role models in society and a wide range of characters in movies that you can choose to dress up as when you're little, unlike the child of color that can only dress up as the one person of color in the movie if they're lucky. It's having the news focus on how you were bullied or how you had a disorder when representing you in a crime. It's having the privilege of not having your entire race being labeled with derogatory and hateful stereotypes when one white person does some unspeakable crime and it's not being followed when you go into a shop because the owner subconsciously doesn't trust you. I could go on with examples, but I'm hoping by now you get the picture. It's these subtle things these subtle ways that you're treated and these subtle microaggressions that you just never have to deal with purely because you're a white person. Many people confuse this though with people trying to make you feel guilty for being white. That's definitely not what the goal here is. Of course, I can't control how guilty you feel about your privilege. The point is you understanding you have said privilege and making sure to call out when others are treated unjustly due to deeply ingrained racial prejudice that the majority of society fosters without being fully aware of them. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of people try to feel like we're trying to guilt them into white white guilt and white privilege is two different things. Like white guilt is this um joke that this comedian tells. He says Whenever I go on a first date with a white girl, it's going to be Netflix and chill. We're going to watch 12 Years of Slave because then she's going to feel so bad about us being slaves that she's going to fuck me. Mm. That's that's white, that's white guilt. It's like when you feel bad for what your ancestor did, so you try to make up for it on your own. Right. That's white, that's white guilt. Silence is not a luxury afforded to minorities. Awkward, male. So yesterday, when I picked my granddaughter, Michelle, up from school, she asked me to take her to get a pizza. I told her I had no money, and she responded that she had her own money. She then pulled $40 out of her pocket. Michelle is only nine and has no job. When I asked where she got the money, she told me a little boy who's disabled gave it to me. I didn't believe her story, and after I questioned her further, she confessed that she had taken the money from a boy who is not disabled. I took the money from her and gave it to her teacher. Her teacher said the boy had accused Michelle, but Michelle had sworn she hadn't taken it. Abby, my granddaughter, not only took his money, but also lied about it. I was devastated. When I told my daughter, she said I should have let her and her husband handle it because now Michelle's teacher won't like her and may treat her differently. My daughter is now upset with me, but I was just trying to do the right thing. Do I 
did I do the wrong thing? Hurt grandma in Texas. You want to go first? Do you want me to go first? You could go first. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's only one right answer in this. The grandma did the right thing. Your child should not be in school stealing. For, she didn't steal $2. She didn't steal $1. She stole $40. Then she she bought $40 and then started big pimping out in these streets like, Grandma, Grandma, this pizza on me. I got the money for the pizza. I got this <laughs> bread. First, the, the teacher going to think differently of my daughter. Yeah, I'm thinking differently of your daughter. She's a thief. She out here thieving. She out here stealing. What? <laughs> so you're not mad at, so I'm trying to understand. You're not mad at your daughter for stealing. You're mad at the grandparent for telling your daughter that stealing is wrong and then making her return the money. And then she done got the little boy in trouble. So don't tell him what's going on with at his house. He probably done got his butt whooped by his mama. So now he done took an ass whooping because your daughter done stole from somebody. And now you mad at the grandmama for something that your daughter did. Reminds me of you know <laughs> the 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 funny question is what is a nine-year-old boy doing with the $40? Grandma, I think, personally, I, I, you know, I'm a mother, so this is a hard situation in a sense. And um, I don't disagree with Mr. Sh Shuttlesworth over here, but I do see there's a difference between old school raising children and... <laughs> the new school and maybe the the daughter feels like you know you had your turn with raising children it's it's their turn to 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 raise their daughter which you know what you did is right i'm not disagreeing but maybe it could have been resolved between you and your daughter and the husband first before going to the teacher because you were going based off of feelings right away and you you handled it which is what the grandmothers we need nowadays should do <laughs> and are not doing so i commend you for that but you know we got to respect the the mother and the father <laughs> no 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 because you would have told the mother the first of all the mother and father more mad that you told the teacher because now the teacher gonna look at this the, the child different so the mother and the father was not gonna give this child no disciplinary action they was gonna keep the money and just take it away from the child that's what i took from it they didn't go well we wanted to handle it differently but they go we now the teacher gonna look at the, their child differently she should look at that thief differently she a thief and, it, and that's the thing. I think that's why a lot of children get away with stuff because they're not. Uh, you know, yeah, they're not confronted. Just like, you know, the grandmother handled it the, the best way she could. And that's the way it actually should be right on the spot then and there. But um, unfortunately, that's not the parenting that happens nowadays. This leads to the bigger problems because your child going to grow up without that disciplinary action and then they're going to do something out here in these streets and then somebody going to recommend them with a shotgun and then you're going to be like, what happened to my poor baby? She was so innocent, but she was out here being a thief. 
And then grandma gonna go, well, I told you when she was nine, she stole that boy money. And you told me I shouldn't be telling on her and all this other stuff. And now, now the poor baby did. Yo, you know, as a child, I hate, you know, <clears throat> it was some, ch- it was some boy in Tennessee. This fool done drunk some um, racing fluid with some Mountain Dew and then died. And there, what what did he think was gonna happen? Somebody was like, somebody, somebody. That's <laughs> like Evan Murphy. <laughs> no, but not, no, but seriously, um. Is one person was like, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. <laughs> like, it, I, I, we done been over this. I don't say sad that person did because there's one idiot off this earth. Like, I feel bad for his parents. My condolences go out to y'all, but y'all child stupid. This motherfucker. You drinking racer fluid. Fluid to go in your car. And you shot, you died. So you're on your way to heaven. With the boy that was twerking, you on the way to heaven, or with the boy that was twerking on top of the car, on top of the car. So I would like to think that heaven has a special place for stupid people like that. They just got a separate, separate section. I don't want you near me. <laughs> I'm in heaven trying to talk to God about some about some real stuff, and then hear your dumb ass go because you was out here drinking racer fluid, mixing it with Mountain Dew. Contrary to belief, Mountain Dew does not kill the flavor of everything. No. <laughs> Racer fluid is not a cocktail. You cannot mix it and expect to fucking live, you idiot. You put something that goes into a car. You bet I'll drink it. Here's a news flash for you. The dude in the Little John videos that was drinking out of the the, cat, the gas container. You remember that? Yep. He was not really drinking gas, you dumbasses. <laughs> <laughs> you trying to be... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I don't, when you were impersonating the grandmother, I, <laughs> I have to say that the grandmothers nowadays don't actually sound like that anymore. Oh yeah, yeah. Grandmama's young now. Be forty. <laughs> I'm going to the club tonight. I'm not watching your children. But mama, yeah, uh, no, like grandma don't even be grandma no more. Ain't no more. Ain't no 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 baby like no baby. Ain't no more that. Hey, hey, oh yeah, young. But grandmas be on Instagram. Oh my god, grandmas be on Instagram, and I'm just gonna leave it at that. If your grandma is young enough to be on Instagram, then that's a problem. <laughs> your grandma old. Your grandma young enough to know how to work on Facebook, then that's a problem. My grandma think Facebook is like, um, my face or something. Like she, my your grandma should be as innocent as my grandma. My grandma don't know what a Facebook is. She said she she bought me a um a Wolfgang puck. She made sure she told me make sure I say the words Wolfgang puck. She she bought me a Wolfgang puck mixer, and she was like, "You gonna post it on that thing? What thing, Grandma? The face thing." I was like, "Huh? What's the face thing? The thing that you be you? My grandma, my grandma don't know what I do for for a living. So she be like, you because that thing you always on the computer doing. I'm like, Grandma, I'll be on face. I'll be on the face thing all the time. But yeah, thank you, Grandma." For the Wolfgang Puck, she said, make sure you say Wolfgang Puck, the Wolfgang Puck mixer. Oh, that's a good that's a good mixer. I, I'm appreciative of it. <laughs> but anyway, we have another Oscar awkward male. 
Two for the money. Okay, this one comes from Disgusted in California. I'm saddened by the mistresses of today, also known as side chicks. These ladies have no morals or conscience, yet their standards seem to be glorified all over social media. What advice would you give to my friends who are contemplating joining in on the madness as a hustle and a way to get future child support from married men? Signed, Disgusted in California. One time, one time for my L.A. sisters, two times for my L.A. hoes. Lame niggas can't tell the difference. One time for a nigga who knows don't save her. She don't want to be saved. This is literally, this is literally that song. <laughs> I want a real uh, dark skin and that vib. No, we don't want the dark skin and that vib. Uh, yo, she went in on um, Jada Pickett Smith, but anyway, <laughs> and she was. I, I stand with Jada Pickett Smith on that. We'll get to that next episode. Dark skin and that vib, loving it. J Cole has his line in that. Um, no role model. He goes. I want a real love, dark skin and then viv love. Um, don't have to worry whether that's your kids' love. <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> oh, that is so sad. I have to worry, but yeah. <laughs> she said this was awesome. She said, "Let me read this again." She said, "I'm saddened by the mistresses of today." As if um the as if the ones of the past were just something to be happy about. Also known as side chicks. These ones have no morals. Uh, <laughs> no morals. But for real, a woman that's a side chick has no morals. Please tell me more. <laughs> or or conscience. They have no morals or conscience. Yeah, their status seem to be glorified all over social media. That yes, yes, yes. Shit, people treat they. It seems like people treat side chicks better than they treat their main woman. Mm. And you shouldn't have no main woman. You should have one woman. She shouldn't be a main because she's the only. We get to have a woman. But my advice on this whole thing is, if your friend's stupid enough to contemplate doing that, then those are some friends you don't need to be around. This is what I would do. I would give my advice. I'd be like, I don't think you should be using a, a man. <clears throat> you should be using a man for something. That's that's fucked up. Like I that's fu- so you you going what? First of all, y'all dudes need to stop. Here's my thing about this side chick thing. Even if if, if it's already it's already it's already morally fucked up, like she said. So you need to tell me you're gonna date two women. And you're going to be caking on both of them. What's the point? Right. Like, what's the point? Like, what's the point? Why would you want to be with somebody that's okay with being second place? And because you give them money. Like, you the honestly, the dudes in these situations are the suckers. Because the woman, the side chick, she getting all the perks of being the main woman. And then the... They made me think of Victor Cruz. Victor Cruz got 200 side chicks. The wife like, well, I'm the one marrying them. You the one doing all the work, stupid. You got to cook and clean for them. <laughs> you cooking and clean. Y'all cooking and cleaning in y'all house. Uh, I said cooking and clean for him. Y'all sharing the house where both of y'all cook and clean. They just get the fuck. 
and get free shit and get free shoes and stuff. And he talks about, I'm the one marry him. That's not a perk. That's a burden. How the hell is that a perk? Oh, no one marry. That's a burden. Well, my, <laughs> my advice is, yeah, I, my advice is, that's a type of person that I would not want to be around that they feel like they need to get into a relationship as a side chick that way their children can be fed that is not a way to live life and it's not a good example that they're setting for these children you need to go get you a job or you need to get more money at where you are if your whole purpose of being in this relationship is because of monetary purposes well when he leave your ass your standard of living is going to go down because like i said you are a side chick you're not the wife so the white gets half, the side chick gets nothing. The side chick gets some gets some bubblegum. What is it? What's that phrase? Bubblegum and hard dick or some shit like that? That's what you're gonna get as a side chick. Then your children really gonna have nothing. And you're already a, you're already an ego. You you have to be a certain type of person to be in a relationship strictly for the services of money. You're hook, you're you're a hooker. Yeah, they got a web. I heard they got a website for that, <laughs> specifically to get money from sugar daddies. That's that's crazy. Everybody want a sugar dad to sugar daddy want some sugar, right? <laughs> y'all, like, y'all, like, y'all are y'all are honestly pathetic. I, you are the lowest of the low to be in a relationship with somebody strictly for the money. They have the audacity to have. Then y'all got the audacity. City to say something about the Kardashians. When you out here hoeing for money, you out here hoeing ain't no difference. Only thing is, you got a regular John. They they see different Johns every day. You got the regular. You got a regular John. So that's the only difference. Come on, so my friends contemplate being the right. What kind of friends is that? You need to leave those friends alone. <laughs> they probably them girls that um they having turkey based to trying to get the um. After they have sex with the dude, try to get the um, get the semen and put it in the turkey base, and then get themselves pregnant by putting, you know, putting the turkey base in them. It's a hustle. You fucking sound stupid. They sound stupid. Let them email us, cause I matter of fact, well, I want them on the show. <laughs> Contemplating joining the madness as a hustle. What? In a way to get child support from married men. So that's extortion. You do know that's extortion and that's illegal, right? Which is accompanied by jail time. Not for you, because hopefully you hopefully you actually mean your friend and not you. Right. <laughs> what would you do if his son was at home crying out alone on the bedroom's floor because he's hungry and the only way to feed him is to sleep with a man for a little bit of money and his dad is gone. Somewhere smoking rocks now. I remember that song came out in middle school. We had in middle school we had debates about this. <laughs> I used to be for no, you don't. I, I, I used to be. I used to be for no. You ain't sleep. With, you shouldn't sleep with no man for no money. Get a fucking job. Right. Why was that never an option? <laughs> sleep with a man for a little bit of money. Like what? Like what the fuck did you get? Why was we listening to this song in middle school to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> the daddy on crack. The daddy so well smoking rock now. I ain't got a job now. So for you, this is one cold life. But for me, this is what I call life. Mm-hmm. What would you do if your son was at home crying all alone? <laughs> oh, my God. 
the fuck was she listening to this show for? <laughs> this is some adult problems. We just out here. We just died our head to it. They took out some sleep with look bands for money and shit. I used to love that song. It was oh god. <laughs> don't do it, man. Don't save her. She don't wanna be saved. Don't save her. She don't wanna be saved. Don't save her. I wanna be saved. It's juicy. <laughs> yeah, I keep it real. Talking about some something, something. I don't remember the lyrics, so I'm just gonna rap how he be rapping when he was with three. See, my for y'all. If you gonna save her, then you gotta save them all. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That sounds like so. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, seriously, man. Nah, seriously, you need to leave these friends alone because that is some that is that is distortion. It is wrong, and it's not beneficial to anybody. Because don't put unneeded miles on your vagina for no reason. Right. Look, you may. It's no different. You, no difference between you and a prostitute. What you guys say on this? You took the words right out of my mouth. There's no reason why I should say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say rest in peace, Uncle Phil. For real. You're the only father that I ever knew. I get my girl pregnant, I'm gonna be a better you. Papa sees that I made Ray back in the Ville. He said Marlo the King would have been on Dreamville. Talk to him, man. But yeah. <laughs> We want to thank you guys for checking out the Aqua Minority this week. It has been fun. It has been pleasant. It has probably been frustrating. <laughs> we hope you open your minds and ears to a new sound. And we will catch you guys next week. Good night. <laughs>